This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Anne, and this is Safe Space, a live forum for courageous conversations. Tonight's show is a tribute to Neil McKenty, the man who was partly the inspiration for the creation of Safe Space. He was also the consultant for the show for all four years of its running, offering encouragement, feedback, and creative ideas for future topics. It was particularly inspired by Neil's own commitment to tell the truth about his difficulties and struggles, his deep belief in being real. Neil McKenty was a radio and television broadcaster for many years. He was the author of five books, among them a murder mystery and a memoir, and he was also a Jesuit priest. Tonight, we'll be playing an interview that was recorded during the summer of 2010, and it was a conversation that we had about aging and the way he felt about facing his own death and looking back on his life at the time that he was then 85. Neil died a couple weeks ago on May 12, 2012, at the age of 87. Welcome back to Safe Space, Neil. Nice to be here, Anne. This is becoming an annual tradition. That's right. <laughs> I look forward to it. <laughs> so you're 85, 85 and a half, and I'm curious to know, when you were younger, what were the things about aging that you worried about? I mean, what, when you thought about getting older, what were your concerns? Well, I suppose one of the concerns was uh, being abandoned and being isolated and wondering how I could cope with that. Another was the possibility of uh, serious pain and how I would cope with that. And the third was um, death without dignity, um, that I might not be able to, to survive in any kind of uh, civilized manner. Okay, so let's start with that one. What does that mean? Because people talk about that a lot. Mm -hmm. I don't want to lose my dignity. Mm -hmm. what, do you, what, what do you mean? What are you actually afraid of losing? Well, there? that you'd be in a hospital, let's say, pretty well cut off, maybe from your family and your friends with a serious illness that uh, people, the only people that would be taking care of you would those who would be paid to take care of you. And, uh, and you would be a drag on them you, with your incontinence and that sort of thing. Uh -huh. you'd, ju you'd just be a heavy drag on people around you. So you wouldn't want to be a burden. No, I wouldn't. So it's interesting because what I and hear... I, I, excuse me. I often thought, I think, and perhaps still do, that I'd far sooner uh, keel over on the sidewalk with a fatal heart attack than hang around burdening people. Yes. So it's interesting, though, in a way that the thing about loss of dignity is more about burdening someone else than it is about the feeling of dependency for you. Yes. I think that's right. So you're not so worried about what it means to be dependent on someone, say, to help you go to the bathroom. That doesn't bother you so much. No. That's interesting. No. Um, because there's, I think for me, there's a, when I imagine it, there's a vulnerability of depending on someone else. You know, what if they're thoughtless? What if they're careless with me and I depend on them? And there's a fear about that vulnerability. How do you, how do you, how is it that you're not afraid of that? Well, I don't know. I've, I've had a number of uh, stays in hospitals uh, for operations like lung operation, kidney operation, 
gallbladder. And um, I think my relationship with the staff was was not highlighted by dependence, but really more by friendship. I see. So you've had very positive, consistently positive experiences with caregivers. Yes, I have. And in those times, did you feel like you were a burden to them? Uh, no, because I wasn't that sick. Mm-hmm. So it's more like if you became permanently yes, uh, uh, unable. Uh, yes. And it would just sort of drag on forever. It would drag on uh, no cure possible and just drag on. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so obviously here you are, you're in the radio station at 85. This hasn't, hasn't come to pass yet. No, it hasn't, fortunately. <laughs> How much do you still fear that it might happen to you? Well, I don't spend much time, Anne, thinking about it. Um, I believe that uh, most uh, pain is now manageable if you get into the right hands. I, I understand that palliative care uh, can be uh, a very almost positive experience. And I would want to be in one of those palliative care groups like hospice. Like a hospice. Yeah. And um, so I I, um, I don't spend much time in my 86th year thinking about uh, death, to tell you the truth. Isn't that wonderful? Yes, it is wonderful. I'm glad for you. I want to come then to the first of your concerns, which was about abandonment or isolation. And, you know, y- you and your wife are both well and both travel. Yes. Um, so you're lucky in that way at mm-hmm. this point. Um, My wife will be 80 uh, this fall. That's great. So are you, is that, you know, you mentioned that as a fear that you had when you were younger. Do you still have that fear now about being isolated or lonely? I don't, uh, I don't think as much. In fact, I've, um, to show my, where I'm coming from, I, I now do something I didn't do before. I read obituaries. I read obituaries in a couple of papers uh, because I don't want to miss some friend of mine dying and not knowing about it. But I read all these obituaries which say, um, we announce with enormous sadness that uh, our friend Joe has succumbed to uh, his valiant battle with cancer. Well, I'm trying to think up an obituary that would be quite fun. <laughs> that we announce with considerable glee. <laughs> so, so I'm I'm working on an obituary notice. You are. You're going to write your own. I'm going. Yes, I'm going to write my own. Now, but what if the people who love you won't be feeling gleeful? For instance, I know you, and I don't think I'm going to be feeling gleeful. Well, I know, but I, when I hear of somebody that's died at the age of 86, who's had a fairly uh, interesting life. Is there much to be sad about, really? I, when I go to funerals and so, somebody is a friend of mine who's had a life well lived, uh, dies in their late 80s, uh, I think it's a cause for celebration. And it's interesting in the Catholic Church, funerals used to be in black vestments and all that stuff. Now they're in white they're a celebration of the person's life, not a bunch of uh, of obsequies about his death. 
So you don't think that's a way of avoiding grief? You think that's really, really appropriate? Well, I know my wife Catherine speaks frequently about uh, people should be allowed to grieve. And we shouldn't cut off grieving because you miss something that's valuable. But I have to tell you that I don't go to these funerals uh, with a great deal of uh, burdensome feelings. <laughs> I get that sense loud and clear. You know, it's interesting. I wonder if that's in some ways a feature of aging. Because for me, you know, considerably younger than you, almost half your age, yeah. if I imagine myself going to your funeral, for instance, just to make this very live, I would I would probably have both feelings. I would feel that you had had an incredibly rich life, mm -hmm. and I would be grateful for all the ways you've influenced me. Mm -hmm. But I would be mourning that I couldn't talk to you again. I'd be mourning yeah. I couldn't run this question by you. There would be a true loss. Yeah. Whereas I wonder if for you, I mean, this is just a true question. If you're imagining, well, you're not going to be alive for decades longer anyway, so there's less time that you imagine that you'll be living and missing that person in. I don't know if that changes your experience of it. Well, it's a different perspective, isn't it? It really From is. Two ends of the microscope. Right, because I'd have to live half my life then, maybe, if I live that long, hopefully, yeah. uh, without the benefit of your company. Yeah. So for me, there is a real loss. Yes, and I, and I appreciate that and respect it. Yeah. Yeah. But nonetheless, when I when I read your obituary, Neil, <laughs> should I, was, I do so? I won't be shocked. And I was even thinking of, of having been in radio and television, of doing a video uh, that would be as funny as I could make it. And, uh, but we'll see. <laughs> to show at the coffee hour. Yeah. To, no, to show at the funeral. <laughs> oh, during. Yeah. That's to great. This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Ann, and this is Safe Space. I'm talking to Neil McKenty about, about aging and about how to make his funeral as fun as possible. <laughs> so I want to I want to switch gears now to, to other things. Um, you know, one of the things that I imagine when I think about aging that I imagine is being difficult is sort of looking back over my life and things, maybe regrets uh, that I might have. And I'm curious, how much do you how much do you think about things you wish you'd done differently or wish you'd Tell me about that experience. Well, uh, I have a, a, a regret that all, might almost be technical. And it's uh, it's brought up every time I read an obituary of a person. And it's mentioned how meticulous they were about their work, how much they did to try to improve themselves. And do you know what I think of and what I regret? What? When I had my television show, it was a, uh, I did a show half an hour, five days a week, which I interviewed people, took calls. I regret that I didn't spend more time looking at the shows that I had done so that I could improve my broadcasting qualities. I regret that. I And I don't understand it. I don't understand why I didn't go home from the studio, sit down, put the uh, thing in the video and, and look at the show that I had just done and maybe take a few notes. And I didn't do that, and I regret it. Now, another far more serious... Wait, I want to hear the yeah. second one in a minute, but I yeah. want to just stay with that. Yeah. So, and is part of the reason that you regret that because you feel like it never was quite as good as you would have wished? That's right. I, I think I could have improved my um, interviewing techniques, 
perhaps my gestures, uh, perhaps my um, physical appearance, maybe. I see. So part of why it has some power to live is a professional. Yes, is a feeling like I never quite got to where I wanted it to be. That's right. Yeah, that's hard to live with that, I can imagine. Yeah. Okay, thank you. So tell me, what was the other one? Well, the other one is a a more serious one, and uh, it's still current that I have not done enough for other people, hands-on stuff for other people. What do you mean? How? Well, uh, uh, volunteering. I haven't done enough volunteering. I haven't... I haven't uh, worked in hospitals uh, and helped people. Uh, Do you want to? I want to, uh, but do I want to? Uh, do I do I want to pay the price? It requires a bit of uh, effort. <laughs> yes, I mean it feels to me as a should. I hear it as a yeah. sort of I should do this, yeah. but maybe not such an overwhelming wish to. Yeah. I, I think you've put your finger on it. I think that's right. I should be doing this, but um, I really want to watch Fox News. Fox News, <laughs> huh? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me why you want to watch Fox News, Neil. Well, I, I've had a um, thing with American politics since I was a little kid growing up during Franklin Delano Roosevelt's second term in the late 30s, and I'm still interested in American politics, and of course I'm interested in what the enemy is doing, and, I, and that's why I watch Fox News. Fox is the enemy. That's right. <laughs> you obviously have a big, st- you're able to stomach it. That's right. Which takes some tolerance. Yes. <laughs> um, so I wanna ask you now, you know, another issue that I think people face when they're aging is kind of their own spiritual questions about do they believe in an afterlife, do they not, what is their own sense of that. And I know you you used to be a Jesuit priest and, and left the priesthood. Curious to know how that aspect of your life fits in with your experience of aging. Well, it's a very interesting question, Anne. I was brought up in an Irish Catholic family in Ontario, Canada. Pretty, pretty severe uh, upbringing in the Catholic faith. Then I was in the Jesuits, which is a fairly rigorous uh, order for 26 years, and things were pretty black and white. I, of course, believed in God. I believed in an afterlife. I believed for a long time in hell. It seems uh, now kind of strange because I have very few of those beliefs left. I would say One of the things that I am doing in old age is that I animate a group of people, a discussion group, every second Wednesday night, and we discuss spiritual things. And I would say that that group, who are mostly Catholics, when they're asked about an afterlife, which becomes quite an acute question when you're uh, getting ready to die or prepare for death, um, most of them are agnostics. They simply don't know. And that's where I am with regard to an afterlife. I've been listening to some of these um, religious radio stations in Maine, and I'm astonished at the, uh, at the dogma that is so clear about uh, afterlife, about heaven, 
about hell, about who's condemned and who isn't, well, I pretty well shucked all that stuff off. And is it is it comfortable to live with such uncertainty? I think it is, uh, actually, because one of the things I'm actually looking forward to on death is, is to find out uh, what the hell there is later. <laughs> <laughs> Although that implies that you believe in an, in an ongoing well, consciousness to even know. No, I presumably think... Presumably if there was no afterlife, you wouldn't be finding out anything. No, well, I, I, I think I'm more inclined to think that there is no afterlife than that there is one. Uh, and, and, I, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, that doesn't scare you. No. There no. isn't a wish. I know a lot of people have a hope to be reunited with mm -hmm. their parents. That's or, fine. You don't have that wish. No. Well, I think it'd be hunky dory if that's the way it turns out. That's why I say I'm rather curious. Yes. But I'm not optimistic. I see. <laughs> not optimistic, but not filled with fear. No. Well, I'm glad. Now, when I get on my deathbed, I, I do. How will I handle it? Um, I'm feeling pretty sanguine sitting here talking to you in a radio station in Portland. But, uh, but when I actually get on there and I'm faced with I'm going to be dead and within the next 24 hours, will I fall apart? Well, I can't guarantee I won't. No guarantee is required. I won't hold you to it. Of course, the way that dying seems to work is that it's gradual. Yeah. So 24 hours before the moment, you may be already easing easing your way into it yeah possibly yeah. yeah we don't we don't know really um i know you know you've written five books and i also know that you don't have biological children and i'm curious does does not having children affect the way that you think about aging and dying i don't think it affects it at all um we're, we're comfortable with the fact that uh, we don't have children we we both married uh, quite late. Uh, I think I was 45, and my wife would have been about 40. And uh, there were times when we regretted that we didn't have children, but it, uh, those regrets have not perdured. So it hasn't. It doesn't lead to a feeling of like, well, who will look after me if Catherine dies before I do? Who will, who will take care of me, or who, who do I leave my things to? Well, there is a, a bit of that, but uh, I try to live in the moment. And uh, I don't do much speculation about uh, my own death or my wife's death. I have a feeling, an instinct, that I'm going to die before Catherine and that she will be fine. And that, that, is, that sounds like that's very helpful as a way to think about it, that trust that she'll be fine. I'm glad. She's a very resourceful woman, and uh, when she decides to do something, I get out of the road. <laughs> gotcha. That leads me to another part of aging that I know is sometimes hard to talk about, or at least not talked about, which is about how sexuality changes with aging. And I, I'd love to ask you about that. Um, how has how has your sexual relationship changed with aging? Has that been a loss for you? Well, it's a, it's a, it's a very relevant question, Anne. Um, I remember 
Catherine and I went to a marriage counselor a long time ago to work out some situation that didn't directly affect, wasn't directly affected by our sexual life. Although the counselor said, and if you if you don't use it, you'll lose it. And I think there's a uh, as you get um, older into your certain into your into your seventies and eighties, uh, sexual relations become simply less and less uh, important until finally they just naturally over a period of time cease and I think are sublimated into a deeper friendship between uh, between the, uh, the two people. That's and, how it's worked out for yeah, you. Yeah. I'm so glad. Yeah. yeah. I think so few people really get to hear from older people how, what mm. to expect, mm -hmm. whether that feels like a mm -hmm. loss, whether the relationship feels less intimate, but it doesn't sound like you're... No, I... Uh, the one major decision in my life that I have no regrets about and will, I think, certainly still stand me in good stead on my deathbed is my marriage to Catherine. Mm. And, you know, that almost makes everything worthwhile. I mean, it does make everything worthwhile. That's a lovely thing to hear. This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Ann, and I'm talking to Neil McKenty about aging. You, um, you know, one of the things, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you about this subject is that um, I would love to age much as you have. You know, here you are, you're 85. You have a daily, almost daily in a way, blog. You write about all kinds of subjects. You've written three books since you retired. Um, play a lot of golf. Play a lot of golf. Um, and I'm curious, you know, what is... What do you, it's hard to know even how to express the question. You seem very full of life, and you are not someone who I would think of as old as a result. And is there a philosophy that's guided you to be that way? Was there a decision ma you made at some point in your life, like, I'm going to keep taking on challenges and risks? Or, you know, how did you get to be so full of life at this point? Uh, part of it is luck, uh, and uh, the key thing is health. Now, I have good health. I've had a problem with insomnia for a long time, but I'm able to manage that. I have good health. I see other people who don't have good health, who are very circumscribed in what they can do uh, physically. And I have good health. I play golf. I, I skied up until a couple of years ago in, in Canada. And I think good health is the key. I didn't, and not only that, I'm a little surprised that I've lived this long. I'm quite, uh, I'm quite chuffed, as your mother would say about it. And um, um, in any event, uh, my because my my father died when he was fifty-eight, my mother died when she was sixty-three. And I've outlived uh, almost my grandfather, who died at 87. Um, so I don't think there was any decision. It's, it's, uh, but I went through part of my life with an, uh, kind of an inside ball of um, knots of tension. 
And I don't understand it, but all that's gone. All that knots of tension has gone as I grow older. I, I've had in some ways in the last 15 years, that is from 70 to 85, I've had the most serene inner life that I've ever experienced. Better than the beginning, better than the middle. So hang in there, folks. <laughs> so wonderful to hear that. But you sound like you don't really know what the factors no. are that contribute to no, it. No, but health. I mean, if I were sitting here with uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, it'd be a different ballgame. Yes. Right, but you were healthy as a young person and were full of knots. So the serenity that you're describing must be attributable to the, the health creates the conditions, okay. but there must be another ingredient. Of course, as a psychiatrist, I want to imagine it's some inner work you did on yourself, some piece you arrived at, but it doesn't sound like well, that. Uh, well, I, I would like to think that too. Uh, but, uh, I find this somewhat inexplicable, inexplicable. So it's a gift. It's a gift. And I accept it. Yes. I, with gratitude. That's clear. Um, you also seem to have embraced technology in a way that, you know, I, I talked to some people in their eighties and they, they don't want to do email. They don't want to get a cell phone. They don't want to do that stuff. It, I don't know if it's intimidating or they just don't connect with it, but here you are with, you know, a regular blog. And, um, was that something you had to kind of force yourself to engage with, or was that an easy choice to, to learn how to do all that? Well, there were people who knew me well who predicted that I would never be able to master a computer. And uh, I might have agreed with them at one point. But I got a computer, and, and I uh, got books for dummies and all that stuff. And um, I do have the blog, which I try to write every day. And I think it, it's, a, it's just a kind of a, an, an advance for my radio program. I think the fact that I was in radio um, gave me a leg up on on technology. Yeah, so you weren't intimidated, no. perhaps, as much as others no. might be. No, yeah, and and I enjoy it immensely. I mean, um, I read newspapers on the blog, European newspapers, American newspapers, uh, on the internet. I mean, and uh, it's a it's just a, a rather exciting way to spend a couple of hours. <laughs> yes. I want to ask you about um, two other parts of aging. One of them um, is actually about driving. And, you know, you're 85. You drove here by yourself. You're obviously very mobile and very independent in that way. Is that something you fear not being? I mean, would that be a big change to Yes, you? it would be a big change. I'd be very upset. Um, just before I came down here, I got uh, a letter from the government uh, saying that I had to go to an eye doctor and uh, a medical doctor and uh, go through some tests to, uh, to see whether I could continue to drive. This is an automatic thing every two years. When, once you hit 75 or something, you get these every two years. And then once, I then got a follow-up letter saying you have to go and take a, a driver's test. Well, I found that quite intimidating. Now, when I took the test... There was nothing to it, uh, except if you're driving past a 30 mile per hour school zone, you better be down at 30 miles. Yeah. So um, 
so um, if I lost my license, that would be a that would be a bummer. I'm so glad for you that you haven't. And I enjoy driving. I enjoy driving. The last question I want to ask you before we have to stop is about the question of euthanasia. You know, you mentioned at the beginning of the, our discussion that you'd rather have a heart attack in the middle of the street than have a long protracted illness. Just say you did have a long protracted illness and you knew that. What is your own feeling about people choosing to end their life when they're in those kind of circumstances? Well, I, um, I'm not going to make a judgment about those people. They, but I'll, I'll try to give you what my own feeling is. Um, I, I, uh, I would distinguish between active and passive euthanasia. Passive euthanasia, you withdraw all the extraordinary means that are keeping the person alive. I don't. We we have a what do you call it? An active will. Or a living a will. Living will. My wife and I. We don't want any extraordinary means used to keep us alive. We don't want to be resuscitated. Now it gets more difficult because of my perhaps religious background. But I uh, there's going to be a debate in the province of Quebec this fall about euthanasia instigated by the government. And I'm going to be involved in that debate to some extent. I'm moving more to being more positive about active euthanasia, particularly if there are severe safeguards and uh, the patient decides himself or herself and the drugs are put in the hands of the patient. I wish we could go on, but we're going to have to stop. But it sounds like your thinking is alive and moving. You're actively think, wrestling with it. Yeah. Neil McKenty, it has been such a pleasure to have you as my guest on Safe Space. I hope that next year we'll be sitting together here coming up with a new topic. To so do I, and it was a pleasure. Sadly, this was the last interview I recorded with Neil McKenty during the summer of 2010. Neil McKenty died May 12, 2012, at the age of 87. Neil McKenty was a radio and television broadcaster in Montreal, Canada. He is also the author of several books. He was a former Jesuit priest before he married his wife, Catherine McKenty. If you'd like to listen to this show in its entirety or email a link to a friend, please go to our website at www.safespaceradio.com. There you can subscribe to get a weekly link to the show. You can also email me at dranne at safespaceradio.com to request a future topic for a show. You can also download the show if you'd like through iTunes. Go to the iTunes store under podcasts and look under Safe Space Radio. Lastly, you can like us on Facebook. This is the last show we'll be doing for uh, some months. I'll be taking the summer off and the show will be resuming in September 2012. Coming up next is The Watchdog.